You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social-emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Well, hello, everyone. Here we are. Hi, Hi Casey. Hi, everybody. Here with season two of the Together in Literacy podcast. Wow, it's hard to believe a whole year ago we were just beginning this podcast. You may or may not have known, but Casey and I took the summer off from recording episodes so <laughs> that we could spend some time with our families. But we are back again for season two. This is episode one. We're going to be digging into... Um, some important notes to make about the science of reading and talking a little bit about training. But before we get into any of that, we just thought we'd, we'd share some of the things that we had done over the summer. So I transitioned my uh, my students that I see. I see them over the summer, but I like to see them in the mornings, which is really nice because sometimes then they head off summer camps and things like that after and try to keep things light and play a lot of games. And then, of course, uh, my, with my own kids, we were able to go on some vacations and in the Boston area. So, of course, we went to a Red Sox game. <laughs> and it was probably one of the hottest summers in Massachusetts that I've ever been in my life, like by far. So, yeah, that was my summer. Casey, how was your summer? <laughs> I had a great summer, Em. Thanks. My kids were home and so we spent a little bit of time at the beach and in the pool. And I, just as Emily did, I saw students at the center over the summer. And then uh, just recently we wrapped up our first cohort for dyslexia therapist training. And so that was really intense, but fun. And so, yeah, it's been a busy, but lovely summer. Casey has been very busy with training. That was so, so exciting to hear. So here we are back with you and we have lots to be talking about with you today. We just want to mention before we dive in that if you do enjoy our, our podcast episodes, um, your feedback and your ratings are just so, so important to us. So if you have found that this these episodes are helpful to you, that you're getting some great takeaways, that you're sharing and talking about them with other people, please leave us a rating, give us some feedback, let us know what you think. And we would be so, so appreciative if you took the, took a few minutes to do that. All right. So uh, this, some, I believe has been on our hearts for quite some time here. And Casey and I have some, you know, we'll text each other back and forth <laughs> ideas of podcast episodes <laughs> and, and things that we notice. We really try to keep a pulse in the online world on what we see as the wave of excitement around the science of reading. So Casey, 
what do you what have you been noticing? Yeah, I think we are seeing this big shift, this wave. That's what I like to call it, this wave of change that's coming into our classrooms and our schools. It's really surrounding that this, what people are referring to as the science of reading. And we'll di- dive into that a little bit more here. But I think that it's really important to remember that teacher knowledge as we move into the science of reading is the most essential part. And last season, Emily and I did an episode all about the Peter effect, which really talked about teacher knowledge and and how important that is for student success, both in the general education classroom and in interventions. So you might want to check that one out. But the science of reading is just so big and so complex and it covers so many different pieces important for us to be aware of that as we're moving into this research and so being mindful of that when we're thinking about you know who we're following online and who we're we're listening to online's a great place to get some little snippets of you know t- people like to call it like bite-sized pd and there's some really great stuff out there and there's some stuff out there that's perpetuating some misconceptions or perhaps just some misunderstandings. So I love seeing the excitement, but also just kind of going into that with our idea of being critical thinkers so that we're wondering and and it's leading us into this journey of looking at what the research says for our students and for our instructional practices. Right. And Casey and I acknowledge this is brand new for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And with that newness comes either a great big feeling of excitement or a great big overwhelming feeling like I don't know where to begin. Yeah. And so people do tend to hop into the online world, into groups and and checking social media to see, you know, where who are the trusted people that I can go to truly learn from in the alley. Casey was mentioning some of those bite-sized PDs, or you might even find what I call like those quick wins, like things you can try um, with your students. But yes, the teacher knowledge really is at the heart of all of this and is going to be a powerful force in what ultimately happens in your classrooms. So sure, we can, you know, dive into these Facebook groups and and go to these different social media accounts, but it's really going to be up to the the teacher to see how this is going to translate into the classroom, how that's going to affect change for their students. So we're going to sort of break this down into a few parts. We're, We're going to just quickly just briefly talk about science of reading and how it relates to dyslexia, especially, mm-hmm. you know, with bit of this podcast, Casey and I are both going to always talk about structured literacy, our, mm-hmm. our own Orton-Gillingham training, um, and how it relates to dyslexia interventions, but also looking at how all of this work that we do pertains to teaching to the whole child. So that, those are just some of our missions. And then we're yeah. going to get, get into some misunderstandings we see, and then just some recommendations that we had. We've been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. And some important points to remember. So that's sort of how we've broken this episode down. And just to sort of give you some things to consider when you are trying to decide on which training you might want to choose. Maybe the, maybe you've seen an online course advertised and you're not sure whether this is going to be the best fit for you. 
or if it will be a, a worthwhile investment over time, things like that. All right. So Casey, why don't we kick this off with part one here? What is the science of reading? <laughs> <laughs> so that is a term that has been used very often in the last couple of years. Um, so much now that it's just now called SOR. But I think that people have a different understanding of what it actually is. So I'm just going to read Dr. Moat's quote as far as what she refers to the science of reading. So, quote, it is the emerging consensus from many related disciplines based on literally thousands of studies supported by hundreds of millions of research dollars conducted across the world in many languages. These studies revealed a great deal about how we learn to read, what goes wrong when students don't learn, and what's the best for most students. The body of work referred to as, quote, the science of reading is not an ideology, a philosophy, a political agenda, a one-size-fits-all approach, a program of instruction, nor a specific component of instruction, end quote. So the use of the science of reading has really become much more mainstream. And as people become more aware of the decades of research we really need to be cautious that the science of reading isn't just becoming a buzzword, right? That the science of reading um, refers to us knowledge base about the how and the why and the what to teach. And so I really do like to refer to this as a journey about how we best learn to help all of our students find success. And as Emily said, her and I have both been following the science of reading for some time now, and we're still learning research, you know, we, but we are, we look at the research, we read the research, we, we take deep dives into that. So give yourself grace, but help find ways to bridge that knowledge into our practice because it is so necessary for our children. So, right. And if Casey and I could really achieve one thing through all of this, and I know she'll be in agreement with me, is to be able to help form that bridge between what their research is saying mm -hmm. and show how that translates into the classroom in the most practical way we can possibly help yes. you. And I know that many teachers have that question mark above their head sometimes like, okay, so how does that look in the classroom? What do I do with my kids? And but we also and we want to acknowledge that the science of reading, the research has been there and continues to come. That's what makes it, I always refer to it as dynamic. Yes. There are studies that we have that have really grounded us and we are still learning more. So we want to be really careful about staying grounded in that research. And yes, it absolutely is a journey. So how does this all relate yeah. to dyslexia? So what had happened as that term, the science of reading became more popular, was that we realized the things that we were doing with our children with dyslexia in reading intervention were also very, very valuable for the majority of kids who are learning how to read. So how a lot of work that people have done in dyslexia intervention came a movement to really dig into how do children, how do people learn how to read? And we can really thank people like Dr. Sally Shaywitz, who came out with Overcoming mm -hmm. Dyslexia, where she revealed a lot about how the brain works back in the early 2000s yeah. through fMRIs. 
And I have to also give a huge shout out to grassroots organizations like Decoding Dyslexia, who mm -hmm. really were pushing for change in schools. I was starting about 10 years ago and forming those groups. We saw that, okay, it wasn't just about getting dyslexia advocacy. It's also about pushing forth change in the classroom and how that can help even more kids, not just people with dyslexia. So science of reading really just encompasses just so much, but we can, I think, give a, a lot of gratitude towards these groups and authors and researchers who have researched dyslexia in the past so that we could see, hey, these are some things that really do help our kids or this is actually how the brain learns to read. It's been exciting for, for me to see since I first started with my dyslexia therapist training back in 2008, just since that time to see the word dyslexia being used more and coming into conversations about the science and the research and, and this movement. So it's really exciting for us to see this progression that's taking place. Um, and I like to, you know, I think a lot of teachers and parents are surprised when they find that this research is not new, that, that we've known for decades about what we need to do in our instruction. And yet that hasn't made it way into our classrooms or our instructional practices. So action that we have used for years with dyslexic learners really is the science of reading come to life. Yes. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. Yes, <laughs> it is. It really is. It's what Casey and I have been trained in for a very long time. And we, we see the, the benefits, we see the outcomes and we are just so excited to see more people embracing that. That is, it is. And, and yeah. that's so exciting. And anytime people are learning something new, right? There's always a learning curve, which I know we talked about in, in season one, when we're learning something new, sometimes we can have misunderstandings or misinterpretations that, that kind of come along with that just because we just don't know yet enough of the big picture or have that long term insight as to what's happening. So right. there's a couple of things that misrepresentations that, that we've, Emily and I have talked about that are very common that we're starting to see coming up over and over again, um, either on social media or in questions that we're getting from people and in courses that we see people promoting and things like that. And just some common ones are all about phonics. And while if we go back to those episodes that we talked about the simple view of reading and, and Scarborough's reading rope, and we understand what's happening in the brain when we're learning to read, it is heavy on that word recognition piece. So that's why phonics is such a big part, but it's not the only part. The science of reading and structured literacy encompass all of the components of literacy in its instruction and is not just phonics. So I think that right. that's a, a misunderstanding and something that people who are not yet ready to embrace the research um, will try to use as an argument. Yeah, it's such a good point. You know, people think Fort Gillingham, well, that's just more phonics. Fort Gillingham really is language. Yes. It's constantly infusing all areas of language 
yes, word recognition is certainly a very big part of what we do, but the language development with embedded in multiple points of that lesson plan is really at the heart of structured literacy and, and all we do in Orton Gillingham. So Absolutely. definitely not just phonics. The next one is that like a structured literacy approach really is only for uh, people with dyslexia. So we know that it has worked very, very well, this approach for people with dyslexia for many years now. And now the research has shown that it's going to benefit the majority of the students in your classroom. So knowing that it's going to benefit the majority of the students in your classroom, why wouldn't you want? to learn more and make that shift. Right, Casey? Absolutely. This always makes me think of the question, and I've posted this out into the world before because it's something that's really important to me. But, you know, what would happen if we shifted our approach to reading instruction from reactive? And that means what would happen if we put the structured literacy and this emphasis on this research in our classrooms in our early grades? when students are learning how to read so that they're learning how to read appropriately and what we know is rooted in research instead of not, instead of using methods that we know are not beneficial to our students. And then we are having all of these kids that need interventions. So I just, I really think we need to start really think and question the strategies that we're using within our classrooms. Casey, I want to just touch on that point where we just said only for people with dyslexia. I was speaking with mm -hmm. uh, a wonderful founder of a charitable organization recently, and she has done some amazing work with training people in OG. And what she has noticed with the more teachers that she has trained in OG, it's actually helping teacher retention, actually helping teachers who were thinking yes. of maybe on the fence of retiring or maybe wanting to shift their careers to something else. Once they had gone through the training, they were like, wow, this is so powerful. I can't wait to try it with my students. And in the age where we are now, and we're finding quality educators to be with our students. I mean, what a message of hope she brings when we hear that it's helping teachers to want to stay in their jobs when they're being equipped with this knowledge. I just love that story. Yeah. I love that too. And, and it makes sense, right? Because teachers want their kids to be successful and they may feel helpless if they don't know what to do or they're trying things and it's just not working as much as well as they know, you know, that it could be. And so when we provide teachers with you know, support and PD and the tools that they need to, to bring that success into their classrooms, it, it does create this shift and this excitement. But imagine that just that one training helping teacher retention, I think. Oh my goodness. There you go, everybody. Get on that. <laughs> okay. Right? Okay, so Casey's got the next one. I know. All right. So the next one we said is sometimes, you know, we'll see another misunderstanding that structured literacy or the science of reading is all about either phonological awareness or phonemic awareness. And so there is a difference between the two, but if we're talking about phonemic awareness, where we're looking at the isolation and the manipulation of individual phonemes, those individual speech sounds, and that is a really key component for learning how to read. It's very necessary. We do need to spend time on it, but that is not the only thing that we do. So I think understanding again, 
all of the components that come into structured literacy and, and the language that we need to be addressing with our students for them to become successful readers is necessary when we're looking at our lesson plans and what it is that we're putting into place so that we're not spending X amount of time just on PA and expecting that to transfer over to reading because that's not going to do it. Right. Right. And and Casey and I, I'm sure we'll talk about more of this in the future, but yeah, you know, when we see reading block models where there are just like these large chunks of time for all students in PA tasks for lengthy portions of that critical reading block. Yeah, we know like this is not just the only thing you should be doing here. And so, well, we can get into that another time, but yeah, that's definitely, um, Casey brings forth an important cautionary message about that, that no, this is not just about phonemic awareness here. All right. The next one is, and we hear this one a lot and that it's just a pendulum swing. Like, you know what? I remember the old whole language days. And I remember before even whole language, how we, you know, it was all phonics all the time. And this is just, this is just coming back again. Well, I have to say that for the first time, and this is so exciting as an educator, I've been in education for over 22 years now, that this is the first time I am actually seeing more of the research being out in the open to push change like it has never been before. Before it was really up to, you know, you went to college, you trained to become a teacher, you were given the textbook that the professor recommended and off you went and you became a teacher. And then your principal put you in a PD for a new reading program that they purchased and you maybe got a day training for that. It's no longer like that anymore. No. Yeah, we know so much more than any one day training from a reading program or any professor honestly had taught us in the past. And I, I'm just so grateful for organizations that have, I th- I guess, pushed to get that research out and into the hands of teachers more. So definitely yeah. not a pendulum swing. No, I agree. And I understand why teachers may feel hesitant, but I, I would really encourage everyone to lean in to the research. This isn't going to go away. It has now caught the ear of legislation and reporters and things like that. So I, which I'm glad it needs to happen. We cannot sit at 34% of our kids reading at basic or proficient reading level. No, there's never been a greater urgency. Right. And, and so I, you know, I encourage people to lean into that research, but what I also think, and to note where researchers are starting to realize the power of putting their research in the hands of the teachers too. Yeah. I think for, for so long, there was always this big chasm between academia and the application. And now they're just, we're, there's bridges being built. And I see, you know, researchers will say, send me an email. I'll send you the, you know, the journal article I wrote or, you know, and they're out there talking about their research and trying to find ways to bridge that research into practice in meaningful ways. So it's going to be a little bumpy as we continue to do this, but our kids really deserve it. And just that open communication happening, like Mm -hmm. it's never happened before. That is no no pendulum swing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I agree. No, nope. and it's not going away. As Casey just said, it's not. All right, Casey, I love it's, the next one. Take it's not. 
And then, so I think to piggyback into the next point, as we lean into that, people may want to just sprinkle things in here and there. And we really need to be mindful of that because some of the strategies that have been pushed out for the last 20 years are that poor readers use. And that's where our being actively taught to our children. So we have to be aware of what is actually harmful. And I know that that hurts to say, oh my gosh, I'm doing something that's harming a child in terms of reading. Like that doesn't feel good. That makes you be like icky and put up your guard, but try to be mindful and to be open and say, why is it that they're saying that this is harming a child to, you know, look at the picture, to guess a word or to hop over it? or to do these things, right? What is it that they mean when they're saying that it's harmful? Because it's it's not creating the neural pathways in the brain that we know are necessary for learning how to read. And our struggling readers, if we go back to the episode when we talked about working memory and the, the need, you know, the other episode about gradual use of responsibility, where we talked about the need of repetition, the amount of repetition that's needed for students who are struggling or who have um, learning differences is immense. And so when we are, when we're teaching them poor reading habits, it's like one step forward, two steps back, and it slows the process down. Yeah, Casey, I I can't say, say enough. Just if, if people knew the students that come into us Mm -hmm. with these sort of like pseudo reading strategies that we have to spend a significant amount of time breaking and developing new strategies with them to get them to decode and and not rely on picture guessing or just you know skipping over words or just using the first letter things like that we see that so much it takes a long time to break those habits and habits as we know the word habitual they're they're Mm -hmm. hard they can be hard to break because these kids have been trained to use that. And let's be frank, it's pretty simple just to look at a picture and guess at a word, isn't it? It's really simple just to do that. And reading is hard. Learning to read is is hard. It's effortful. So we have to really just eat, help kids to understand that, yeah, you know what? It, it does take a lot of effort, but it's exciting too when you do realize that you can do this and have the confidence. And I think Emily and I are also in a unique position where we see students of all ages in our little bubble of our grade and say, well, they're doing great here and not see what happens to them years down the line and see how those strategies that they're taught at those early grades actually are detrimental to them as readers, as they hit third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, and, and beyond. So sometimes, you know, we're, when we're not in a position to see that long-term impact, we might not really be aware of it. Right. Right. Yeah. I think we do as educators need to look more longitudinally Mm -hmm. and look across grade levels to see beyond what's just happening day to day and say like your K classroom or your first grade classroom. Absolutely. And the last one that sticks in our crawl a little bit is structured literacy or science of reading. All of this, you know, when you're using a structured literacy model, then that's just direct instruction. And you know what? That's just plain boring. Well, we know that explicit direct instruction is really what works best for kids. 
mm-hmm. that they they need that important direct instruction before they can attempt practice on their own. They need that from us. They need that expert modeling and guidance. So, and and when we have our instruction framed in, in really thoughtful ways where the kids are engaging with the content and we're providing, I guess, uh, more thought-provoking questioning, then that really is not really a boring way at all. It's actually confidence building for kids. It's actually helping them feel like they're becoming part of the ex- the whole process. And that is really helping to nurture what we all refer to. And we all know gradual release of responsibility. Casey and I had done a big episode on that. So definitely go back because we've broken down how mm-hmm. we can view the role of direct instruction as it relates to the gradual release right. of responsibility. So yeah. that was our last one there. So we just wanted, we know, just to acknowledge once again that this research is dynamic and there are going to be times where we're going to see maybe some misunderstandings, also changes that get made, but it's important to stay current and uh, up to date on those things. So we're going to move on to part three and and here we, we're going to sort of phase into our recommendations and some really important, what we think, advice for anyone in this educational field and it's just, it's important for all of us to keep in mind. And uh, Casey, what do we have? Yeah. So I think, you know, as we're kind of leaning into the research more, we can sort of look at, you know, how is this, whether it's work that we're doing or scaffolds we're looking at, right? How is this really rooted in the science? And then how is that translating into the classroom or into our interventions? And Emily and I were talking about this previously because there is a need for deeper understanding across the board. And teachers are always fabulous about that and wanting to learn more and and improve their craft. But when we're looking at deepening our understanding, you know, there is our deepening our understanding for classroom teachers and then deepening our understanding for interventions because. They are different because when we're looking at interventions and we're looking at working with students who have different learning profiles, we need to have that core understanding and more because we have to be able to scaffold. We have to be able to differentiate. We have to be able to add in those layers to help get the student from point A to point B. And that comes with that deep knowledge. Yes, I think that there will be presented with lots of science and research. And yes, it's sort of twofold, how it translates into the classroom, but also how does this work and uh, translate for our students in reading intervention. Students within a reading intervention model are going to need a lot more repetitions. They're going to need, we're going to need to address even more things like executive function, perhaps attention. There are a lot of other factors to pull in when we're in an intervention model rather than the classroom approach. Yes, definitely important to remember. So all of this is just deepening our understanding, helping us to just stay current, but choose quality training. We can't say that enough. There will be times when you might see advertising for certain online courses or trainings, but really 
look very, very carefully, I think, at the credentials and training background of the people who are presenting. Take a look. Have their credentials been listed in when they may have an online course ready for you on the science of reading? What is their experience? What is their background? Those are things that are really, really important. Sure, they may be able to give you some of those quick wins and things to try out in your classrooms right away, but are they rooted in truly the science of reading and what works best for kids learning how to read? So like I said, we may see lots of different options out there. There are really two approaches. There's going to be an overview, and then there's going to be something maybe more of a deep dive. It's really up to your needs and your goals. However, in order to keep us deepening our our understanding, we have got to be more discerning in our decision-making and decide, okay, well, what really is going to work best for me and my students? What am I going to gain from choosing this training from this particular person? Okay. So important. And, And I think if you are also someone who is working specifically with students with dyslexia, then Mm. really we want to ensure that our children have access to those effective reading strategies and those reading instruction that is provided by teachers and specific teaching expertise to teach those elements according to, you know, the principles of structured literacy that we know work for our students with dyslexia. And with that, it takes time, right? It is not Mm. a quick fix or a silver bullet to teaching reading. It is a lengthy process. It takes a great deal of investment, but it really is worth it. And, And for people that have gone through the training, I would say, I actually haven't heard anyone say otherwise, but People say that it was the best choice that they made because they leave with a deeper understanding of reading instruction and what's actually needed to reach all of their students when they go into like the the train the deep trainings with like the practicums and and the more advanced trainings. So just some important points to remember above all of this, and I'm gonna have, Casey, you you had um, talked about this one, so I might throw this one back to you, and that's the need for us to be critical thinkers. We're going to see lots of things demonstrated in the online communities. We're going to see little short video clips. We're going to see resources and photos and things and recommendations for what you should do for your students. But how are you going to be a critical thinker? That means how are you going to decide, hmm, the research is telling me this. This is really the way this particular portion of the lesson should be taught. Casey, when you think about that. Yeah, I think, you know, I would like to see this. This is something we want our students to do. We want them to be critical thinkers. I love it when my kids come in and they are wondering about something or they question something. I think it's important for us as well to be critical thinkers when we are looking at research. And that's not to say to you know, it's not to say, oh, well, I'm not going to do it that way, but it really is to say, okay, I haven't heard about this, or this is something new to me. Let me lean into this. And I want to see exactly what they're talking about and how this looks for students and which students does this best apply to. So leaning into the research and just being mindful and asking questions, important part of being a teacher and part of, you know, really honing in your craft of teaching. And yeah, Social media is fabulous. You can get so many wonderful ideas, but, you know, through the lens of 
does this make sense? Is this actually moving learning forward? I will always come back to that because I see a lot of really adorable, cute, fun things. But my question is always, is this moving learning forward? For our kids, especially, there's always a sense of urgency. We have to get moving. We cannot spend time on things that are fluff that are not moving us forward. So while they're cute and they're lovely, I like to do the things that are efficient, fun, (laughs) but get us moving in the direction that we need to. Absolutely. So we know none of this is going to really happen overnight. Like Casey said, there's an urgency, um, especially in the current educational climate. I think there has been an urgency for a long time, but I think more so, more than ever, coming out of the pandemic and us seeing, you know, a lot of kids really that have a lot of holes in their learning, not just people with dyslexia, but people who really did miss out on some of that foundational uh, work that is just so critical. We want to make sure that you're open to being a listener and learning the research, but also to being discerning, especially with things you might see on social media and in groups. It's important. Once again, if this is new to you to try to find out, well, where is that research coming from? Don't be afraid to ask questions. Where could I learn a little bit more? Message that person. Those are those are all valid things that you can be doing to help you learn more. Or is there, is there a book or a research where I could learn more about that? Casey and I are happy to help in, in that area as much as we can. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we're going to wrap up with something that is sort of connected to us with helping you deepen your understanding to acknowledge that there's that we need time to learn the research right? This isn't happening overnight, but also our message is being discerning. So uh, a listener contacted BC a little while back and Casey, just like in a nutshell, what what was it they were asking? Well, I had, I had posted on social media, just kind of as like a PSA to, you know, just be a savvy consumer that there's the science of reading. I've seen kind of raise a little red flag a little bit and say, Hey, just caution, right? Please make sure that you are being a savvy consumer, that you are checking in on the person who is perhaps selling something that has the SOR slapped on it, just to see, is it something that you should spend your hard-earned money on, right? And so that was a comment. So the, the listener had said, you know, I would love for you to make a podcast on how to be a savvy consumer and what you recommend for consumers and your cautioning for TPTA. TBT creators. So I think that that's something that's really, you know, valuable to have a conversation about because TBT has fabulous things on it, but there's also some things you have to kind of weed through. And again, that comes back to your, the more you understand about the science of reading, the easier it is for you to see what is actually aligned with the research and what's not, but it's hard to know when you're first starting out or even, even people that are, um, have been at this for a while, it's hard to know exactly what, what to look for and what to look at. So Emily had brought this up to me about having like a little call out to TPT sellers to put their credentials on their storefront page. Um, like I said, there's really fabulous stuff out there, but knowing where to look and who to trust in terms of their training can sometimes be time consuming. And we know that teachers don't have a whole lot of time. So And, you know, someone had asked me along the same conversation about being discerning consumers, 
you know, is there a way to search on TPT for sellers who have Orton Gillingham training or have been trained extensively in structured literacy and that we can trust and go to their stores? Is there a search function for that? That's a great question. And the answer is no. There is no way to search by a person's training in their stores. However, we know and we value every single TPT seller on there who really has an extensive amount of training in this field. And because of that, we want to help them receive that recognition in order to help consumers. And so what Casey and I were suggesting was that on the storefront of your page where there is an image, it almost looks like a little rectangular bar next to that person's logo to welcome them to the store, but to display your training credentials just or sort of introduce yourself as someone who maybe has certain certifications or trainings that people really should be seeking when they decide whether or not to be looking in a particular TPT store. So for instance, certification in Orton Gillingham or being a CALT like Casey here, um, being an academic language therapist, having particular trainings like maybe in letters, but displaying your credential badges, which you might receive, especially if you are a member of the International Dyslexia Association, is not only going to help you, because, you know, it's nice to be able to display those and you work really hard to earn those badges and credentials, but it's really more so to help educators. And guess what? Not everyone is an educator shopping on TPT. There are a lot of parents, there are grandparents, there are caregivers out there looking for things for children. So it just kind of helps to have that on there if they know, okay, I'm going to a trusted source. So something to think about, we, so we're sort of kind of extending an invitation to anybody that does have a TPT store to really consider a thoughtful way to display your credentials and badges so that people know that this is a trusted source and to help you, to help consumers. And quote by Marianne Wolf, one of my favorite ones, <gasps> where she says, right, it is never the fault of the child, rather the responsibility of us who teach to find methods that work for the child. Absolutely. Um, such a such an important quote. Yeah. To that display that everywhere. Much says it all, right? <laughs> so we thank you so much for listening to today. We have some great guests coming up in season two and are so excited to share them with you. So be on the lookout for that. Definitely check out the website togetherinliteracy.com. And uh, we will see you next time. Thank you so much, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.